This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Some of the best history of the United States takes place right here in Kansas City. Hey, it's Bob Fesco and welcome into the first episode of Kansas City History. Two states, one story. I'm Bob Fesco, like I said, and I'm passionate about sports, but I'm also passionate about history. Alongside me today is Diane Houston, local historian. You may know her from the Martin City Telegraph, where she writes a monthly column for them, and she's also a local Kansas City High School history teacher as well. And for the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to take you down a journey to let you know how Kansas City became the great city that it is. And each month, we'll take a look at something special that's going on in Kansas City that help us evolve to the city that we are today. Diane, I'm excited to get this podcast started with you because I think there's a lot that we can cover from now until, I guess, eternity, until they tell us we can't do it anymore. Uh, excited about, you know, just talking about the great history of Kansas City because there's so much here. And I know from following you in the Martin City Telegraph and you teaching the kids all about history in Kansas City, it's something that you're really not only passionate about, but really knowledgeable about as well, too. I like to think so. I mean, I don't like the words history or historian that much, but uh, I'm okay with it because of the fact that there's a word story in it. So I think history should be told in stories and that we are completely unaware in this city about how cool the history is here. Well, I I think this town, more more so than anywhere else in in the United States, has a a different type of history, obviously with the slave state versus the free state, and that's still going on today, and and that's kind of how... I want to start our first episode of, of this podcast is we're kind of today almost still dealing with a lot of the same issues that we dealt with when this area was founded way back in the 1800s, aren't we? Absolutely. I mean, th- we have a lot of founda- foundations of even our sports history that goes back to this whole idea of a border wars. And, and some of us don't even know what that means. I know that when I teach the kids and things like that, you know, they'll understand. They know like the idea of a Jayhawk but they don't know what a Jayhawker is. Mm-hmm. And to actually expose people to that kind of history, and I mean, and there's so many stories out there that really kind of blend into exactly where you live, where you drive every day, and there's just history buried everywhere. And I don't know if, if any part of the country really has embraced and held on to the past like yeah. we do here in Kansas City. I mean, it's 2019, and we're still talking about Missouri hating Kansas and Kansas hating Missouri, and we haven't been at war in like 200 years or something. You well, know? don't tell the fans that. Right. They don't like, there's a lot of even still contention to this day. But there is a lot of um, stories that can be told that, that involved that that went from a war situation originally and then kind of spilled into the sports arena because people healed after that war and we're talking obviously about the civil war mm-hmm. people healed after that war and part of the way they did that i mean people unlike us today who takes everything very you know we get a little offensive all the time and everybody's worried about what everybody else thinks and back then, it didn't matter what side you fell on. After that war was over, it's like you shook your neighbor's hand and you moved on. And I, I wish some of us would learn some lessons like that. Well, that doesn't happen. <laughs> I, 
seriously. We just hold grudges and talk about you behind their backs. Exactly. You know? like, yeah, I agree. Can you believe that, Diane? You know? Hell yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, Diane. Can you believe Diane saying that kind of stuff? Like, like that's how we are now. It's a very passive-aggressive society and, and that we live in. But, but I, I look at the way that this region was formed, and I, I just think to myself, has any other region of the country really been formed by two absolute opposite and diverse sides like the city of Kansas City? I don't think it, Kansas City, when it comes to, I, I'll say, American history, you'd have to go all the way back to the American Revolution when you're talking, you know, 100 years prior where there was contention and for a completely different issue, which was, of course, freedom. And then here we are again in this area when you have in 1854, you've got the Kansas-Nebraska Act. You have this whole idea of Kansas becoming a whatever state it's going to be. Is it going to be free? Is it going to be slave? And right here on the border, because we built a town right on the border, that was purposeful. Mm -hmm. When you build a town like Kansas City, which was a hamlet at this point, Westport was a bigger town at this point in history, and it was a slave town for sure. And when you build something on the border like that, you are, I mean, you had to know you were going to ignite a little fire underneath people. And and that's exactly what happened. I mean, they got what they wanted. That's for sure. How, so how do we get here? How do we get to a city that is still divided by a state line that still can't trust the other side of the state line to do anything? Like I hear it all the time. We're talking about building a new baseball stadium downtown, right. and people in Johnson County go, "Don't try a by state. I don't trust Missouri with my money." And Missouri people go, "I don't trust Kansas with anything." So how did we get to the point where we still are today, where we may look at each other and say, "Hi, how you doing?" But at the end of the day, we go back to our homes and we don't trust that other side of the state. Isn't that the truth? And I grew up, I could have taken back in the 80s, I could have taken my cordless phone up to the state line and gone on to the Kansas side. And I grew up in Missouri and I am a Mizzou fan. You can give me trouble about that. But it, it all started on the border. And essentially in 1854, you've got the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which Stephen Douglas and, you know, I, I know I'm going to sound a little bit like your, your high school history teacher and I don't want to bore everybody, but um, they had to try to keep settlement. They needed settlement to, to move essentially west. And it's going to repeal the Missouri Compromise, which is how Missouri was formed. So there you already have something with Missouri in the title, something with Kansas in the title, and you already have people at war. The decision was popular sovereignty, giving people the decision of whether Kansas was going to be free or slave. And those Missourians that live on that border, some of them own land on both sides of the state line. You think that they're going to actually be cool? They have slaves on one side, and then they can't take their slaves over to the other side? Mm -hmm. That became a huge issue. And so they just decided, you know, I'm, I'm going to vote whatever I want to vote. It doesn't matter if I live there or not. I'm going to go over. I'm going to vote, and I'm going to make sure that Kansas becomes a slave state. And it really started with, wait for it, voter fraud. Uh, can, can you believe that? That's still going Shocker. on in Chicago today, right? I, I mean, and like. <laughs> seriously. I mean, it, it's, we, it, and I always say, you, if you don't learn from the past, the past, we're doomed to repeat it. And here we are. It's like we talk about these subjects. There's so many parallels. Yeah. And it's, it's actually um, kind of pathetic in some ways. I read an article not too long ago that was talking about um, one of the Kansas governors and brought up voter fraud from 1855 in that exact same article. And it's just like, geez. And then I'm sure half the people read it and go, voter fraud? What voter fraud? Yeah, you know, that's funny. You, you bring up that Kansas-Nebraska Act versus the Missouri Compromise. Like, it doesn't matter how far you go back. There's always something there that divides these two sides of the state line and pisses somebody off. Oh, that's, this is all about the, the riling up. It, it, it's People, the Missouri Compromise, essentially with the creation of the Kansas-Nebraska Act, you are, you're violating the Missouri Compromise. So you're already pissing off people from can the Missouri side because they, they were actually able to move and settle. Jackson County was created in 1821, so you're talking one year after the Missouri Compromise. 
And you have liberty, you know, independence. Think about the, have you ever thought about the names of liberty and independence? Yeah. I mean, they're both like what? Like freedom names? Right, sure. Well, there's a reason. One town was slave and one was free. Like they were, one town was for slavery, one was not. So you actually have their names. That, that, there's no joke there. They they literally named their, themselves at about the same time. And part of the reason they did that was because of this, we're always going to be fighting. There was fighting on the Missouri side, too. I mean, it wasn't all, you know, wine and roses, as they like to say. Well, so some Missourians were fighting with each other, and some people over in Kansas are like, let's get the hell out of here and let's just try. <laughs> so what was the fight like for Missourians to try to convince and defraud Kansas voters into voting to make Kansas a slave state? Well, part of it was you have to I mean, obviously, if you're going to if you're going to become a government, you have to have a government. You have to actually, you know, put people in office. And the president at the time was going to have to appoint um, the governor because there's no one to vote for him. Yeah. And then you have to actually have people go out and vote. So they the way that they framed it, the way that the wording was, was very sketchy. We'll just say that it was like anyone living or residing in the state of Kansas on the day, or it should say Kansas Territory, on the day of the election is a valid voter. That's a problem. Because if I go over in Kansas, I mean, think about how many shacks and shambles there are at this point. Sure. If I go over the Is that a shot line, of Kansas, or is that just the I truth? Mean, yeah. I, I'm just, you know, <laughs> I'm talking only about parts of Kansas. Right. Just parts of Johnson <laughs> County at this point. But uh, when you when you, when you you look at these people coming over into Kansas— they're going over because they think they can actually prove they're a verified voter, which is unbelievable. People pay. There's stories of Kansas Cityans with lots of money who find the drunk on the corner and they're like, hey, man, come with me over to Kansas. I'm going to have you vote. I'll pay a dollar a day. Like this stuff really happened and it's documented in history. So these people come over in these droves. They camp over in one night. There's lots of whiskey because that's how that's how they rolled. Mm -hmm. And then they go to the polls and it's a rowdy situation. It's they forced in the, themselves into voting. And of course, if you're coming from Missouri, 99 percent of the time you're going to vote on the slave ticket. You're going to vote for those candidates, you know, that are going to continue slavery. So how do we get to a point, though, where Kansas became the free state and Missouri became the slave state? If Missouri, like, I mean, did they mess that up, too? I mean, <laughs> they've been messing stuff up since 1850. I mean, yeah, the, your, the lovely nickname of the free staters, right? Yeah. Um, well, part of that, I think, again, it goes back to this whole idea of the settlement of Kansas. They're not going to just, it would be easy for everyone on the Missouri side to just go, go on over to Kansas. Remember, we just kicked the Native Americans out. Right. Go right over into Kansas, pick up some land, and, and then start voting. But that's not logical. I mean, you got to think how many road systems there were. There's no train. There's, I mean, there's steamboats, but you, you're doing everything by either walking or on horse. So everything is going to be a little bit slower paced at this point. So you have to figure in that the people in the Northeast were very concerned, rightfully so, that Kansas was going to be, a, this was going to be a problem. This popular sovereignty shenanigans was going to be a major problem because if you're going to bring over people to vote, they knew that Missouri wasn't going to stand for it. So people in the Northeast formed immigrant aid societies. So essentially they said, we will help pay for you to move to Kansas territory. And all these poor folk that don't own any land are like, I'm on this. This is good. But you just need to help us ensure that you, you know, make sure Kansas becomes a, a free state. And so you had these immigrant aid societies. Towns are created like, wait for it, Lawrence. Mm -hmm. Lawrence is created because of the immigrant aid societies. You have these towns. Manhattan is another one. When you have these immigrant aid societies that come in and they're settling essentially to ensure that Kansas becomes a free state. So these guys aren't just going to fall on the, 
oh, we're not sure what we're going to do. These are going to be your diehard northern supporters of, um, I say, abolition, of course. And so Missouri knew this was coming. So this was basically Missouri was counteracting to what yeah, they yeah. so this was a counterpunch being thrown 100%. by Missouri. You can't blame one side or yeah. the other. And, I, you know, when you tell history, that's the thing that. You know, I always try to look at it from a perspective of you put yourself in that situation. Mm-hmm. And I meant it, it, commerce and people love to think that we were like, uh, you know, the old gone with the wind with the big dresses in the plantation and, you know, and, you know, a hundred slaves out in, in the yard working while, you know, I whatever do inside have a tea. That's not what was going on back then. Back in Kansas City or in the area predominantly, you don't have a lot of large slaveholding families. These are going to be people that have three to five slaves and most of the country at this point or most of this area wasn't inundated with large slave plantations like you had back in in the south but you you know how the news is right sure okay like newspapers don't report stuff maybe that way they're going to be like save kansas from being a slave state watch all these you know these large slaveholders move over into kansas that's not the intention the intention of these guys was to preserve the fact of what they already had. So when you move something in, it's just like if you live in a neighborhood and you've got a beautiful $500,000 house and you're going to build a, you know, a big Walmart behind your house. I guarantee you Johnson County or anybody isn't going to be okay with that. You're going to fight something like that. It's the same idea. It has to do with the, the, the value of land. It has to do with the expansion of the Western expansion, which all started here in Kansas City. And I think, too, now when you mentioned, you know, the Northeasterners coming out to the state of Kansas to ensure Kansas being a free state, now it makes sense. KU founded by a Yale and Harvard professor. All the streets in Lawrence are named after the 13 original colonies for the most part. And so you start to see where that history came in, especially in a town like Lawrence, Kansas, which ended up being one of the epicenters and really the first KUMU game, Quantrill versus Jenison, taken on each other oh, became yeah. the first real border war fight and it's snowballed since then and well bill self won't let it continue right now but for the most part continued up until 2012 with with the with the kumu type of game and the first one was back in the 1800s and that's true i mean you have and, and no, it's hard to defend i mean i see some people out there that call themselves like a bushwhacker bell and all this stuff i'm like all right we're not like we're 150 years off by that but these bushwhackers like Quantrill, like you mm-hmm. mentioned Quantrill, he's going to be, he actually started, he was from Ohio, so we have this northerner coming into the uh, Kansas territory about the same time as all these immigrant aid societies. He wanted a job. He was well-educated. Most of these guys that are bushwhackers, I mean, it, they look just like you think, you know what I mean? Sure. Like they're a little scruffy and all that. But Quantrill was kind of the exception to the rule. He started out as a school teacher in Lawrence. He was actually living in Lawrence, Kansas. and, and So he was a spy. He could have been. There's a lot of speculation on to what, you know, I, and I'm not going to even guess because there's about a billion Quantrill experts or there's a million Quantrill books out there. I usually try to not, like, dab too much in the subject because there's a lot of, I mean, uh, there's a lot of hearsay mm-hmm. when it comes to stuff like this. I mean, how much was actually written down when you're too busy burning up towns and everything else? I mean, for real, it's it's in. We have to rely on those ever reliable newspapers. So it was an insider job, is what you're saying? Quantrill was an insider. I don't know. I don't know. That's a conspiracy I, that, theory to throw out there. I, I'm putting that on Bob because uh-huh. I'm not sure I'm going to back that one up. But it is true. Like you have Quantrill that comes in and he's. He's up in, in, in Lawrence and essentially comes back into or comes down to the Missouri side and just, I mean, it's it's kind of like flip sides. I mean, I would, I would go as far as to say that, you know, if we were going to diagnose him with something, 
and I'm certainly not qualified, but it's, it sounds a little uh, like bipolar almost because mm-hmm. he's he just all of a sudden switches sides and he's able to have the 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 charisma to recruit people to in organized service or I should say disorganized service because these guys that we're talking about we're talking about like 14 years old to like early 30s and we're talking most couldn't read and write some could of course but we're talking young kids who pretty much would go along with anything if you handed them a Colt rifle right kind of like young kids today yeah. hey go do like this here. and adults telling me to do it you're and, out yeah. yeah exactly so so you hand these guys some rifles and you you say we're going to fight this you have to remember even before Jenison who is your your lovely Jayhawker original Jayhawker Jenison's Jayhawkers when you before this all happened you have disorganized skirmishes going on all over the place that whole idea of the election bringing in uh trying to figure out whether kansas was going to be free or slave is where the border war started and then it spills over of course into you burn my house i come over i burn your house you take my horses i come over and i take your horses it's an eye for an eye it's the old eye for an eye and that's what originally spawns this on so by 1861 of course history tells us that's when the civil war began Kansas City, the area had been at war for six years. So six freaking years they've been at war before the cannons are fired. You know, and th- and that's a pretty that's if you think about how much would have happened in that six years, it's mind blowing. It really is. I mean, and, and you also think about Quantrill. He's probably the last guy that converted from a Jayhawk to a Tiger too. You don't see that happening oh. anymore, right? First and only guy. Wah, wah, wah. Uh, so, so those, so, so those guys are, are are going after it, and they're doing battle, and they're fighting. What was resolved from that, though? Did, did we ever get like a resolution? Do we ever get anything kind of set in stone and taken care of after those two guys led their little militias against each other for all those years? Well, it actually it caused the war to kind of stay away from this specific area until Battle of Westport. Um, you had skirmishes. Because when you're learning about the Civil War in school, you right. don't learn a lot about what went on out here during the Civil right. War. Everything's focused on, you know, Georgia and South Carolina oh, yeah, and Maryland sure. and, and, you know, Gettysburg mm-hmm. and places like that. You don't hear much about what occurred out here. No, and I think that's a part of it has to do with the way that, I mean, who, how, who writes the history, right? Is it going to be the losers or the winners? Mm-hmm. You, it's This area was, like I said before, full of contention that you have to consider that no one was innocent here. So it's hard to tell that history because there's no clear winner. Like you asked, like, you know, who, who is it that, you know, succeeded during this, this whole time period? And the answer is no one because uh, the, the real losers here are the people that ended up staying on the border, although so many people had to leave. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a whole different, whole different gamut there. But you just, you have to consider that in Kansas City at the time, there was clear divide between free and slave but most people really did i mean you have to consider there's southern sympathizers or sympathizers to the southern cause that didn't own slaves that's probably going to be a bigger population than slave owners in in the metropolitan area because people couldn't afford stuff like that slaves are expensive and, and I think ultimately that you, you say who wins and who loses. I think to this day, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think to this day, everybody who lives in this area is a loser because of that, because of that state line and because of where they place the city. And they've made it so difficult for the city to move forward at times with things because you've got folks on both sides of the state line that truly can't see eye to eye. And you, you had mentioned that they place Kansas City here on purpose. Why purposely place a city in the middle of two states, 
I mean, obviously, you're not thinking ahead to 2019. And we're going to need a new right. baseball stadium or renovate Union Station. Right. But but even back then, you had to realize that if we put a city here, we're not doing anybody any good because nobody's going to agree because nobody trusts either side in this. And I think that part what we have to back up to on that is that Kansas City at the time, in, in we're talking town of Kansas, okay, 1838. So you've got we've got we're talking twenty years of trying to form a city on a bluff. It's like a cliff. Mm-hmm. So um, part of the reason for Kansas City's placement, first and foremost, was river traffic. It's we're going to steal business from independents, and so placing Kansas City where they did, and then it only being three miles from Westport. If you dropped people off there and then had them take their little wagons down three miles south, you could outfit them in Westport and had, have them head through Kansas territory into wherever their final destination was. First and foremost, it wasn't about, you know, taking over the area. It was about money. It's commerce, right? Everything goes back to money. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the biggest causes of war. But when you look at the actual history of Kansas City versus, and here we go with the Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City, Kansas, you know, like everybody gets in, up in arms on that. Um, and as a Kansas City Missourian, I, you know, nothing's worse than going out of town, right, and saying, I'm from Kansas City. Oh, Kansas? Nope, nope, nope. I am not from Kansas. Never have I lived in Kansas. But that whole idea, Kansas City was formed, that name was formed before Kansas Territory was named Kansas Territory. So we had it first. I'm just letting you know. Really? Because the, the assumption Indeed. is, like, why would you name a city after a state that it's not even in? No. So how did that name come to be? Well, the name of the Kansas City, well, Kansas Indians. So uh-huh. you've got spelling, and if you look at old maps, which is really cool, I always highly recommend it. Kansas uh, Historical Society, they, see, Kansas does do things, right? Um, Kansas Historical Society does a great job of putting a lot of maps out there. And to look at some of these old maps, you'll see the spelling of Kansas is going to be usually K-A-N-Z-A-S. You'll see that, or Kansas, without the S on the end. You still hear a lot of people say, KC, you know? like Yeah, or, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> No, enunciate, yeah. please. Um, yeah, when you when you look at the the way that the name Kansas City, it comes after first of all the Kansas Kansas Indians, and then you also have the Call River, right, which mm-hmm. is also called Kansas River. So when you have that name, it's established well before Kansas Territory is named Kansas Territory. I mean, it's the first you know your first real settler in Kansas in Kansas Territory, if you will, is your your buddy Reverend Johnson. You know who Reverend Johnson is? I don't know Reverend Johnson. Was well, he know, Methodist? He's a Methodist minister. That's very good. You should go visit the Shawnee Indian Mission if you haven't. Um, Kansas, or John, Johnson County was formed on the border. And, and so that's who Johnson County's named after. Amen. And, and guess what? He was a slave owner. And he was a huge slave supporter early in the war. He was actually killed in Kansas City, Missouri. You know, that crime rate. Right. Yeah, crime rate has uh, been going up ever since, right? Seriously. It's like the, <laughs> one of the first documented. Uh, but he was killed. And the, the big thing was, you know, because he switched sides. He's one of these that, you know, I'm all for slavery. I move into Kansas. I'm going to bring my slaves with me. And I'm going to, quote, indoctrinate and, and educate the Native Americans in the area. I'm also going to make money off of them. I'm going to have a lot of land. I mean, he owned a ton of land. He owns where we are right now. I mean, he owned a ton of land out here. And so when he, How did you acquire land back then? Just claim it as yours, and that yeah. that constituted you owning it at the time. Well, I mean, it depends. Squatters' on, rights. I mean, squatter yeah. sovereign rights. That's a good, good, good job, Bob. You were listening and 
senior American I've history. Seen, I love American history. I know like, you I could talk about it all day. So like like the, I've always like was fascinated. Like this is now my land. Like if you do that today, right. you're getting shot. You know, <laughs> for real. I know. It's like and think about it. How did you have to prove your land? It's like we go to you know online records and. It's like, here's my deed, and here's my plot, and this is the legal description. And the same thing was the case back then. It was just a little bit more complicated because the government, like the whole idea of Missouri Compromise, if you go back to that 1820 stuff, is you can't settle land. You can't settle on land if, you, if, if it's not a state because it hasn't been platted out. And there's a whole platting system that's really interesting if you're an, especially a math nerd. But there's a there's a whole platting system that goes into place because you can't just go I like this land with that tree on the top of the hill and the in the crick mm-hmm. down in the valley. I mean, like my land is the crick and the tree. Like that's not how it works. So in order to settle land, it has to be legally settled, which means the government has to have um actually platted the land. So 1820 is when Missouri was finally indoctrinated into that whole system. And Kansas doesn't become a state until 18, or think about it, doesn't become a state until 1861. Mm-hmm. But the whole settlement of Kansas doesn't really occur until 1854, 1855. So you could settle into Kansas. That land at that point belonged to the Native Americans. We'd already shoved them out of Ohio, Indiana, everywhere else, even southern Missouri. We shoved them over into Kansas and established missionaries, established different um, areas to be able to um, help them settle and become, I say, more, you know, more civilized. Um, that's what Reverend Johnson did. That's how he acquired land. It was by helping the Native Americans. So stealing. So stealing land. Yeah, they yeah. say it that way. But that, 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 that's how it worked, though, everywhere, though. Not 100%. just here. I mean, we just could, like, from the time somebody, whoever it was, landed on the coast, uh, the East Coast, right. we just continually pushed Native Americans west and continued to push Native Americans south until we decided that that was where they, they needed to end up or whatever it was. I mean, like, they right. never had a standing chance against these people. No, and, and, and sadly, some would, have just, you know, would agree that they still have no chance at True. this point. I mean, it's, it, again, we don't learn from our past at all. And, you know, you get names like Blue Jacket, right? You've heard of Blue Jacket. Sure. And you get, you know, Black Bob. And um, that Black Bob, there was a reservation called Black Bob Reservation. Mm-hmm. And Blue Jacket, Charles Blue Jacket, who became a Methodist minister as well. That's the he, pool we go to with the kids. It? Yeah, Blue Jacket pool. Oh, okay. Just yeah. don't, you know, don't dress up in some some type of way and try to pay homage. No. People take he's a bad, a bad dude or what? No, he's a he's a cool dude. Okay. He's, he's a good guy. No, I mean, absolutely. But again, there's so many pieces to this history. You never think, like, why is it Mission Road? Why is it Shawnee Mission Parkway? Why is it Shawnee Indian Mission? Who's Johnson? Johnson County. I mean, Johnson's a. I just figured Johnson was just a a name that, like, so bland that Kansas, you know, nailed it like Smith. You know, like like Kansas loves these bland things. We ran out of ideas. Yeah, Uh, Johnson. And we're not going to name after the Native Americans. God forbid. It's not going to be Blue Jacket County. Well, but you had Wyandotte County. That's true. You did, and Wyandotte is actually there's a whole other gamut of um, the Wyandotte Indians, of course. And and to be clear, Shawnee Indian Mission, and I, I I cannot stress how important it is to just go visit. It costs like n- nothing, basically, mm-hmm. to go visit. And uh, the curator's awesome there. And to be able to actually see what is left of this huge, you know, Indian reservation is pretty cool. It's the oldest building in the state of Kansas is, like, not far from where we are right like now. Like over by Bishop Miege, yeah, right there. absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, they still have some acreage and they do a lot of cool events and they do bring in Native American, um, you know, music and they have different festivals. It's just something I definitely encourage people to to check out because it's the oldest building buildings in the state of Kansas are right here, right here, which people have like, I've never even been there. 
didn't even know it was there. Right, because it's it's kind of hidden off the it beaten is. path a little it bit, is. you know. It is, yeah. Well, you know, and it's it's controlled, or it's it's there's this histor- historical society that's involved in that. The city of Fairway is involved in that. There's a lot of there's a lot of hands in in, in there mm-hmm. that make things a little bit more complicated, but. I've got a uh, hats off to Kansas for actually preserving something. I appreciate that. Well, and, and preserving was kind of the name of the game back then. Everybody was trying to preserve what they had. And there was right. an, an issue, Order 11, you wanted to talk about, oh, yeah. where we wanted to burn Jackson County to the ground or something. We of did that burn age. Jackson and, County to the ground. And so the preservation was gone from, mm-hmm. from that standpoint. What happened there? Well, and, and when you had this border wars, and we talked a little bit about Quantrill and all of that, when you have these border wars happening, and I, I pretty much – qualify everything up until 1865 to be the border wars here because it's just a completely different type of uh, of thing going on and i'm sure if you look at the the order number 11 which it happened as a response to something that you've also heard of which is of course the lawrence massacre the second lawrence massacre mm-hmm. and that was involved and there's so many different pieces and we'll have to talk about more of this later but order number 11 essentially was put down by a guy named thomas ewing he was from ohio and Order number 11 told people, and I'm going to read directly text. It said, all persons living in Jackson, Casp, and Bates County in Missouri, and those living in part of Vernon, included in this district, except those living within one mile of the limits of Independence, Hickman's Mill, Pleasant Hill, and Harrisonville, and except those in the part of Caw Township, Jackson County, north of Brush Creek, Message, that's Kansas City and Westport, Mm -hmm. and west of the Big Blue, are hereby ordered to remove from their uh, present residence within 15 days. So after Lawrence Massacre, the response was, we've got to stop these bushwhackers. And who's supporting these bushwhackers at the time? I mean, all these women, right? And these women are left behind during the war. Women, children, and old men are left behind during this war. And they're supporting these bushwhackers who are living in the bush. That's my favorite thing to read in old old records. It's like, he was living in the bush. Like, er. I don't know about all that, but uh, <laughs> it's over. Did you ever and over. try living in a bush before? I don't. know. How do you that physically works. live in a bush? I feel like it's more like it's like representative of like cave living. Yeah, you know what I mean, like the the, the old caves and and living near water because sure. that's where trees were. We don't have all these trees we have today. These guys essentially were so mad about a prison collapse in Kansas City that their defense was, if you're going to hurt our women, there were women and children in this. They arrested women and children back then. Mm-hmm. And women and children of those Southern men, those they were off limits. You don't play with women and children. So after these women and children were, um, some of them died in this prison collapse in downtown Kansas City, when that happened, right across from the Sprint Center, actually, uh, when that happened, order number 11 was the only response because these bushwhackers didn't like these women being killed there in turn go up to Lawrence and they murder 190 ish uh, men and boys they left the women alone to send a message but I mean like that's not cool right mm-hmm. they go up there and they and they essentially burned Lawrence to the ground that happens and the response to that was if you're going to do this with this this border situation is completely friggin out of control we have to put an order out there it was signed and people had 15 days to move. Well, your buddy Jennison, the Jayhawker, the Red Leg, he came over right after this. This it was enacted. People are ready to be, are evacuating from their homes. They don't have wagons left. Guess what? All that crap got stolen during the war. So they're on foot. Most of these people are on foot. They're taking as much as they can. They bury stuff so they could come and get it later. Most didn't come back. So metal detectors are kind of a cool thing to have in this area. Um, and they. 
they evacuate. They have no place to go. They didn't sign a loyalty oath or they wouldn't let them sign, sign a uh, loyalty oath. They were forced to essentially leave Missouri. And you think Kansas was going to let them in? No. Uh, no. So that became a mass evacuation. It said up to 28,000 people never came back. It's, it's like two-thirds of the area, Jackson County, Cass Where'd County. Where'd they go? Most of them, like most of the stories I've read, one lady walked all the way to Texas. I'll just say, just throw that out mm-hmm. there. To okay. Texas. Texas. That's comfortable. Right. Um, people would walk south. Texas was a kind of a, a freehold area, obviously very welcome in Texas. Mm-hmm. We could talk, We could do a whole thing on Texas. Um, but then a lot would go back. A lot of these people had southern roots, right? Tennessee, Kentucky. These are the, uh, they have family. So even though the war seems like, oh, it's way, way worse over in Kentucky, it was actually way worse in Missouri. Um, a lot went back home and would stay. And some did come back. I don't want to make it sound like they didn't. But you see a lot of these old Kansas regiments end up settling in areas like Cass County and Bates County. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Yeah. So so, so back to where we started yeah. this initial episode of mm-hmm. our history podcast. KC today still clearly dealing with the same issues that we were dealing with back then, just in a different way. But really, when you when you get down to it, we're still dealing and fighting basically the same battles that we started fighting when this territory was originally founded. I 100% agree. It's like I, I love those pictures, and, and it's it's such a benign thing, really, and all. But you, we have all seen those pictures with all the snow that we had, and you've got state line, and you've got the Missouri side is, like, covered and looks right. terrible, and then the Kansas side is, like, perfectly clear. And then you get people on the Missouri side, they're, you know, well, you pay higher taxes, and and the Missouri side's like, but we're just better. <laughs> right. You know? I mean, I think that as long as people have a good sense of humor about it, these but these these real issues. Everything that, that you have a sense of humor and joke about, though, is based on truth. 100%. And I don't think, I think we always have to be informed. Yeah. If you're not informed about a topic, I highly advise people to read about a topic before speaking of something. Now, come on sayings. now. I, I know, mean, right? Let's, I mean, let's, I not, let's not get crazy here, okay? I know you're <laughs> I know. on spring break and all, but let's not dip into the <laughs> sauce this early. I know, right? Well, it's so true, though, because if, it's like if we just, if we learn a little bit about what was going on in the past, it would be a lot easier to explain the reason that people act the way they do. I just read something on social media, not but yesterday, and it had to do with a, 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 kind of a sensitive issue. Kansas City history, kind of a sensitive issue. And it's like people will react before they actually read. And I think it's important for anybody to be well-educated enough. And it doesn't mean you can't sit down and watch some PBS. I love, I love me some PBS. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you can watch your history. I don't really care. You, you can listen to your history. Right. But it, it, to be able to talk intelligently, make sure that we all know the pieces, I still have more to learn. This thing, I thought when I started this whole journey, I thought for sure, I was like, at some point, I'm going to run out of friggin' stories. And I have, there's no way it's happening. I have a list a mile long. It's like this area is full of incredible people, awesome, awesome representations of both sides of history. And it's just, you know, we got to tell these things. Yeah. And and as we continue on, we'll continue to tell more and more of these stories because every time I read something that you're writing or to hear something that you're talking about, I'm like, I'm more and more interested about what occurred here. And, And it's really cool at the end of the day to look back and think, that all our deep-seated roots of hatred for each other are well-documented, and we know why we truly Absolutely. do hate each other. And it has nothing to do with with sports. I mean, sports obviously adds to that. that helps. But this thing goes way back to the 1800s when people couldn't even get along back then.
Absolutely. 100% agree. And people that don't live in this direct area don't understand. They come in and they're like, are you a are you a Kansas fan? It's like, well, you know, in, that automatically in this area means KU. Right. Like, nobody, Wildcats? Like, you know, it's, we have, we're programmed here to defend a bird or a tiger, you know? And that, I think that's pretty cool. And I love to, I've got great friends on both sides, and I just, I, I, it's it's a fun conversation to have, for sure. And, and I think maybe we can get into the mascots in a future episode, oh, because yeah. people don't know what, you know, a Jayhawk is, but I guarantee you there's a lot of people that root for the Missouri Tigers that don't understand what the Tiger mascot means I, as well. Absolutely. And That's so, so true. That could be the topic for another edition of the podcast. Good episode. Yeah, this was fun. I think I learned a lot out of this one already. I too. We're going to... We're going to keep doing this. Yeah, this is good. keep doing it. About once a month, check back. We'll have the uh, the episodes updated always at 610sports.com. We'll do one of these a month and keep you updated as to what's going on with the history of Kansas City. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.